Hebrews Bible Study, number four. The first exhortation for lay leaders and deacons to conduct after the Sunday service or during a midweek Bible study session. Hebrews 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Let us reread that with some special emphasis on the main points of this pericope. In the PDF at verylutheran.biz, it is highlighted and set in bold for easier understanding. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Now, there are two key statements in this passage. The first and third verses constitute the message of the first exhortation in Hebrews. If we put them together, then it forms a cohesive thought that helps us understand what the author is explaining. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? As far as exhortations go, this is as clear as the author could get. If the congregation, and all believers for that matter, drifts from the faith to the point of neglecting salvation, then there is no escape from the wrath to come. Therefore, both they and we must adhere to the faith closely, that is, to be devout. While the ESV translates perisoteros and prosekein as pay much closer attention, the two words are more expansive than merely aiming mental focus on something, making them a little more difficult to translate. As a rule, however, perisoteros brings connotations of abundance, while prosecane, the thing the author wants us to have in abundance, is taking heed to what we have heard, to have rapt attention, or more properly, to be devoted in faith. The author here is giving us a plain command toward piety, especially of the inner sort. This must not be misconstrued as advocating for mysticism, however, as the author is concerned here with what we have heard, or the faith itself. The author explains the two statements. First statement, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. We are told here to give abundant heed to, or pay close attention to, what we have heard. What is it that the author is referring to? First, we note 
the therefore, which tells us that everything the author has thus far said about Jesus Christ is the main motivator. From our last two weeks of study, Jesus Christ is the divine king above all creatures. He is eternal, omnipotent, and seated at the right hand of our Heavenly Father. The author's therefore tells us that all of this must be taken into account, and the only reasonable response in light of Christ's infinite significance is to pay sharp heed to what we have heard. But we must be careful not to assume that Christ's importance and highest status is the substance of what we have heard, when the language used implies more that it is a motivation to keep our attention there. A brief digression. Why is this question so important to ask, what have we heard? It is important because the author is giving the reader a command, but that command is impossible to obey if the reader cannot ascertain what he must do, if we must pay attention, devotion even, to what we have heard, but we do not know what that is, then we are lost as far as the author of Hebrews is concerned. Furthermore, there is theological import here. If we do not find the answer to the question, then someone may erroneously answer it to the detriment of the church as a whole. Imagine someone believing that the emphasis on Christ over angels was the substance of what was heard, and he then goes about binding Christians everywhere to hear long sermons establishing imaginary hierarchies of angels. Or worse yet, another individual believes that this passage binds Christians to do works in order to be saved, because he sees endless devotions and Hail Marys as a requirement before God finds us worthy of going to heaven. So to avoid cases of eisegesis, or just plain bad interpretation, we find it necessary to answer the question with scripture, cross-references, and linguistic understanding. But I digress. The question remains, what was heard? The author speaks to Christians, but he is speaking to Hebrew Christians primarily. Chances are, then, that his explanation in the second verse is meant as a referent to the Old Testament, namely the giving of the law and the wilderness wanderings. Quote, Since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable. The New Testament has various places which mention, in passing, that Moses received the law from angels working on behalf of God. St. Stephen says in Acts 7 verse 38, This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel, who spoke to him at Mount Sinai, and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. In Galatians 3 verse 19, St. Paul mentions the same thing. Quote, Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Per Hebrews 1 verse 2, Jesus Christ is a living revelation of God to us, meaning that if the messages given through angels to Moses were acceptable and reliable, then so much more should we consider Christ's message to be reliable. Quote, Every transgression or disobedience 
received a just retribution. If the reference to angels acting as messengers of the law is what the author means in the first clause, then this clause is clearly a reference to what happened after Sinai, when the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. St. Paul speaks of this in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 6-13, through 13, stating, quote, Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Indeed, from Exodus to Numbers, every transgression which the Israelites committed while in the wilderness was met with swift retribution from God. They suffered from an addiction to apostasy after lumping their sinful motivations under the umbrella of desiring evil, as St. Paul says. But one cannot help but notice that the Israelites also struggled with faith, often accusing God, who says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, of bringing them to the desert to kill them in Exodus 14 verse 2, 14 verse 11, Numbers 16 verse 13, and 21 verse 5, and elsewhere. They did not believe what they had heard about the God who delivered them from slavery, let alone what they had seen. It is reasonable to believe that the author is drawing a parallel between what the ancient Israelites should have placed their attention on, the deliverance God won for them in the wilderness, and what Christians should place our attention on, our salvation in Christ. In short, the answer to, what did they hear, what have we heard, is the gospel. The best explanation for what was heard can then be summarized in this way. What our forefathers experienced in the wilderness was a result from drifting from faith in the God who delivered them. In fact, they stopped believing they had been delivered. Let us hold fast to our deliverance and to Christ who won it. Second statement. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Now, you might ask why we put so much effort in identifying the gospel in the first statement, when the author goes out of his way to say that we ought not neglect our great salvation. The reason for this is in the nature of the text. The author assumes that his audience knows a great deal about the scriptures, especially the Old Testament, as well as the core proclamations of the gospel, 
he is drawing a clear parallel between the ancient Israelites in the wilderness and the church of his day, with a warning that the congregation of believers may undergo a worse punishment than Israel if they decide to neglect the gospel. Remember that the author is establishing a comparison here in parallel with his comparison between Jesus and the angels. If Christ is superior to angels, then Christ's message is superior to the message passed along by the angels. If the message by angels was considered reliable, then the message regarding Jesus Christ is far more reliable, and we have even less of an excuse than the ancient Israelites. To underline this, the author establishes a recollection of all the sources which verify the gospel. He says first, It was declared at first by the Lord. This is not only a reference to Christ himself proclaiming the gospel, but it is also confirmed by the Father's voice in Luke 9 verse 35, when he says, This is my Son, my Chosen One, listen to him. This means direct divine attestation to the legitimacy of the message. Then he writes, It was attested to us by those who heard, meaning the apostles who functioned as eyewitnesses to Christ's ministry and resurrection. Some have used this part of the third verse to claim the author cannot be St. Paul, since he is considered an eyewitness directly discipled by Christ. But we cannot forget that St. Paul was not an eyewitness to how the gospel was declared at first by the Lord. He met with the apostles later on. We have this same attestation in the writings of the apostles today in the form of the New Testament, while the congregation written to in Hebrews likely heard it firsthand. Then he writes, While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Given the run-on nature of this part of verse 4, it is reasonable to assume that he is lumping all these things together as supernatural evidence for what the church had received. While the church does not often see these gifts and miracles today, we must be aware that we do see a miracle whenever we see someone baptized, whenever we partake in communion, whenever we see genuine repentance in a sinner, and so forth. While it might not seem as showy as they may have experienced, speaking in tongues or healings, these are far more important and supernatural than a cut or illness being miraculously healed or someone speaking in a strange language. I wager that the congregation Hebrews was written to was more impressed by the changes they saw in people's lives and the relief from sin they experienced than any miraculous gift being manifest. While the author bases his exhortation on Christ's perfection and his perfect message, being the very revelation of God, this ought not to be taken as though he is denigrating the Old Testament or trying to say that it is not the word of God. In fact, the Old Testament forms the foundation of his further arguments, as we shall see later. But until then, I encourage everybody listening to this, or studying at home, in a home church, or for personal devotion, to examine themselves and ask, 
how closely am I paying attention to the gospel in my own life? And hopefully we can see that fleshed out a bit in our next study. Amen and amen.